I've been loving this series where we're looking at Jesus himself. We're looking at the stories of transformation. And we're looking today at, is it a story that we can trust? Because increasingly in our world, we have that mixture between fear and faith, competing stories for the truth. But actually, to, to fall when the voice has moved and the voice is in front of you, to fall back takes real trust and faith. But the point is that in our lives, we can get to that point where we think, have you moved, God? Because things seem to be going from bad to worse. Or we're not even sure, can I still trust you with my life? Can I still trust you with my death? How do we know that we can trust this story? Well, I had a bit of a weird start to my week. I don't know if you ever start the week. I started Monday feeling a bit near. Does anyone have those? I just felt a bit off. I couldn't really describe it. I couldn't get my mojo on. I felt just a bit, nothing had happened. Just felt a bit nyeh. And I said to Tim, oh, I'm not really feeling it today. I'm not really feeling quite my normal self. And then on Monday night, we had a, a worship gathering, and I'll refer to that a little bit later on, where we heard testimonies through Andy Worthington of what God is doing, transforming lives from fear to faith. And it just lifted me. And actually, testimony, the power of our story, the power of testimony is our gift to one another. Because what that did for me is it sent me into the week in a different way. And if I can just indulge for one more minute, last night I was in, um, where was I? I was down south anyway, in Rickmansworth, at a theatre there, um, doing a show about the Holocaust and about forgiveness, return to the hiding place. And we had about 300 people there, um, just come through the box office to the theatre. And at the end, I met a man who was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was one of what was called the kinder train that Nicholas Winton rescued. And he said, I want to meet you and I, I just want to tell you my story. And his story, he unpacked that actually he had seen such atrocities that he had been through the Holocaust, that he'd lost his family, and that he had wrestled with bitterness and hatred. And then in the middle of the night, one night, when he was absolutely at the end of himself, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw heaven. And in that heavenly dream, he saw the ones that he'd lost, the loved ones, and they were partying. I love that. They were having a meal. They were partying. And he was amazed, and he was so full of joy. And then he saw at least two people that he remembered who were the torturers, who were also there. And he couldn't fathom it, and he felt anger, and he felt absolute outrage. Why were they there? But it seemed that somehow they had found grace and forgiveness, and they too were parting with Jesus. And so he went on to give his life to the Lord. He became an Anglican vicar, and he's now at the age of 90, still going around telling his story. And it just, it even gives me goosebumps just telling you that story. And how do I know it's true? How do we know he's not making it up? Well, from one dream, that man changed his whole life from bitterness and anger and went on a journey towards grace and mercy and forgiveness. And when I looked into his 19-year-old face, he was lit up with love. That's the only way I can describe it. So as we go to this story, we can trust 
the story of Jesus in Mark. Eyewitness accounts helped particularly by Peter, a disciple that many of us are very fond of, who actually was there. So we're looking at eyewitness accounts. And I don't know who you trust, how we know who we can trust today. Uh, In recent survey, I think in October last year, it was said that 12% of British citizens only trust our politicians in the UK in a survey conducted by Ipsos. That's the lowest percentage that there's ever been recorded. The lowest percentage. We don't know who to trust. We're currently ranked 17 out of 19 countries surveyed in terms of how little we trust leaders and government. And we're in a world where AI is coming, isn't it? We can't deny it. Some people might celebrate that. Some people might be having a bit of fun with it. But also, it is impacting our culture already. And the clue is in the title, Artificial. I was in a meeting this last week where we were looking at its impact on our young people already because truth has become such a difficult thing for them to find. And the prediction was that in the years to come, we'll have all the knowledge and information we ever needed without really even trying. But what we will have to keep doing all the time is assessing what is true. All the time. Because it's neutral to the truth, AI. And it creates avatars. There are young men and women having relationships with avatars currently. I mean, what sort of world is that? So actually, are we not hungry to say who can we trust? What is true in our ever-changing world? Young people are encouraged on social media, speak your truth. I've heard that so many times recently. But that says that truth is, is totally subjective. And yet this story, I believe, of Jesus has changed lives like that man's last night. But thousands of years later, here we are. Why? Because it's true. And the truth has never been more needed. And your story has never been more needed. I know we're saying that week in, week out, but it is so important. Look what those testimonies did for me. And actually, our stories are a gift to one another. We're going to hear a beautiful spoken word now from Lydia, one of our actors with our performing arts. And this is about lament. And actually, lament is faithful complaint. It's trusting God, like these two characters in the story, when everything seems to be out of hope. Uh, Let's listen to Lydia and watch her. I have learned to rest in his intimate grace with pen notebook and attentiveness, I sit in the cool of the morning, waiting for his delicate voice to reach my ear. I have known turmoil and tragedy, days of scraping by or only seeing darkness, where fear was looming over me, causing silent tears or heart-wrenching cries. I have questioned him, the maker of all, with anger and raised fists, I cried out for him to hear me, see me, for any sign of comfort and tranquility. My lament reached his ears. I have noted the colours of his melody, a piercing light softening sorrow. Gentle grace gives life again. I hold on and refuse to let go. I have come to know him deeply. His steady presence is a constant comfort as I sit with him each day and listen. 
There is no need to pretend. I can simply be. So beautifully expressed that Lydia has held on with her questions, with wondering what God was doing, and has found that place of trust and peace. I was reading uh, 2 Peter, uh, the first chapter, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know where this happens to you, but it was almost like I'd never read these words before. It just hit me. And if we think that Peter is here in these stories that we've just had read to us, and that actually in his second letter, this is what he says to us, I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember such things. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And he goes on in the following verses to say, we even heard a voice from heaven when he's referencing the account of the transfiguration. We heard a voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. Listen to him. And I just thought there's such humanity in Peter here. It's as if it's one of us saying, you couldn't make this stuff up. Have you heard that expression? You know, if we're saying something bonkers has happened, that often happens in my life. And you just think, you couldn't make this up. It's so out there. Even meeting that man last night. But actually he's saying in his humanity, he's pleading with us, this stuff is true. It might sound mad to you that Jesus brought a daughter back from the dead, but I want you to know that this stuff happened. It's true. And how do we know that Peter was telling the truth? Well, he not only lived for Jesus, he died for him. People don't do that unless they are absolutely convinced of something. There are two accounts here in a kind of sandwich called the Markham sandwich, mirroring each other. Both people are in despair. They're out of hope in different circumstances, out of hope, out of resources. And the first guy we meet, Jairus, he's the synagogue president, and apparently he would have had to have been quite neutral to the growing kingdom, to the growing activity of Jesus. Neutral and possibly a little bit distant until... Something happens in his life where actually pragmatism and neutrality doesn't work anymore. And haven't we all got stories of that? That perhaps we were neutral to faith. We didn't know or perhaps even care whether it worked or not, whether it was real or not, until one of our loved ones becomes sick or we become sick or somebody leaves us or we leave somebody or we do something or something happens and suddenly neutrality doesn't work for us anymore. We want to know is this it, or is there a kingdom that is worth living for? And Jairus comes, and he doesn't remain neutral now. He falls at the feet of Jesus in humility, and he says, please, would you come and put your hand on my daughter so that she might live? So if you like, his cry of fear becomes a call of faith. I'm sure on the way there, he was crying out in fear, and then he meets Jesus. He falls at his feet, and he says, put your hand on her so that she might live. He asks humbly in fragile faith, and Jesus goes with him. And as Jesus goes with him, there's an interruption, which often happens in the Gospels, and Jesus has time for people in an amazing way, and in this case, I bet a frustrating way for Jairus. So he's thinking, come on, she's dying, and he stops, 
and he's who touched me in the crowd. And remember, Mark has this real thing about crowds following Jesus and how difficult sometimes it was for people to come out of the crowd. And this lady, this second character, is desperate. She's tried all the doctors. She's spent all her money. She doesn't know what else to do, but she has heard about the healing power of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so she reaches out and she thinks, if I can just touch the edge of his cloak, maybe this issue of blood that makes me unclean, that makes me an outcast, that makes people turn away from me, might be taken from me. And the incredible bit, I love this bit, where we hear that Jesus says, who touched me? A power has gone out of him. The word power is duanimous. And that's where the word dynamite comes from. A symbol again pointing, as he loses power that she might gain healing. And that is a beautiful symbol of what Jesus will go on to do, that he will give of his life so that we can live. Your faith has rescued you, says Jesus. Faith, however fragile. Just think about your faith at the moment. Is it strong? Is it feeling fragile? Faith, however fragile, is a sign of the kingdom. And not only that, it's a channel for this dynamite. It is. Whether it feels faltering and a kind of fearful cry or a call of faith, it is a sign of the kingdom. And it is a receptor for God to work, as we see here. And she tries to remain anonymous, but Jesus being Jesus won't allow that. Why? Because he's not a fairy godmother. He doesn't just want to deliver miracles, whether he knows it or not, and on he goes. He wants relationship, as we heard from Sarah last week and Tim the week before. That actually, it's not about just zap, here's the, here's the miracle. He says, who is it? I want to know her. I want to actually speak to her. Because he absolutely valued every single person that he met. He wants to be Lord and Saviour. So he seeks her out. But interestingly, I think if this was any of us, we'd say, go and tell everyone. This is amazing. But in this case, he says, will you keep this quiet? And we think, well, isn't that a bit counterintuitive? But the thing was, this story was spreading. And that became a political issue under Herod. And he was bringing about a revolution, yes, but a different kind of one, as we'll hear in a moment. So news then reaches the crowd, and through the crowd we get this terrible news that all is lost. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus, your little one is dead. And I don't know about you, if you have moments in life like that where everything you thought of, everything you prayed for, Everything that you put your trust in seems to suddenly crash down. And yet, what does Jairus do? He doesn't believe the crowd. Inside, I'm sure he's absolutely terrified and grieving. But, as we heard from Lydia, he chooses to hold on. He chooses to walk through the mocking, through the weeping, through whatever's going on. He goes home with Jesus and we all have a story we're living out, and only Jesus gets to say how and where it ends on earth. And until that day, we keep on walking with Jesus. Interestingly, the beautiful trust of both people here, the woman who reaches out and Jairus who touched, 
trust Jesus to reach out are the same. And I felt as we were praying before the service that that might be symbolic for people. That as we go for prayer, it might be that you just want to reach out and say, would you touch my life afresh? Would you convince me by your Holy Spirit that this is true, that this is worth holding on for, that this is worth living for? Or maybe you feel actually you just want a touch from Jesus to remind you that he sees you in the crowd, that he loves you, that he sees your situation And where people around you might say, don't hang on, I don't know why you hang on to that faith. Don't bother the teacher anymore. No, as for me and my family, we choose to trust. And when Jesus comes face to face with this 12-year-old girl, so touchingly beautifully, and it's recorded in the Aramaic language because there was no replacement for what he says here. He says, Talitha Koum, Emmanuel said it much better than that. But time to get up, little one, is the translation. Now, who's tried to raise a teenager from their bed? Probably many people. There's a gentle humanity to this where he says, it's time. It's time to get up. Now, the girl's dead, so this feels almost cruel or random. But actually, it's beautiful because of what happens next. Time to get up, little one. And she gets up and has something to eat. And here we see the gentle compassion and humanity of Jesus with that dunamis, that power to speak to death and bring life. And in a way, in his gentle way, time to get up, little one, he's saying, that's what death looks like to me because I am God. And I have hold of your hand. And I I don't know your situation, but again, praying yesterday, I felt there were people here who need to know that he has hold of your hand in life and in death. He will have hold of our hand because death is nothing but sleep to those who believe. She is only sleeping and she is awaiting his resurrection. And it's the same for us. We're awaiting resurrection life here in this life and in the next. Tom Wright talks about this revolution of the power of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing about. He says this, Jesus was indeed starting a revolution and was indeed bringing God's healing power, but his aim went deeper. These things were signs of a real revolution, the real healing that God was about to bring about through his death and resurrection. Peter here was to go on and live and die for his faith in Jesus because he knows that we're in the middle of the story, that we don't see yet how it ends. And as I said, on the the worship ministry gathering, Andy Worthington shared a couple of stories from across our world where people are facing imprisonment, where people are facing death, where a girl put her testimony on TikTok and was then killed by members of her family. Why? Because they are so convinced that Jesus is worth living for. There was a group that he spoke about who'd had their church burnt down to the ground in Egypt. And they went and they chose to worship in the ashes, in the rubble. And not only that, they worshipped and they wrote, we forgive them, forgive them. And as a result of that, I think at least two of the perpetrators became Christians because they saw those words. So much mystery, so much suffering, and yet a God who can be trusted to bring about the revolution of hope and life and resurrection. The end is not the end, 
And maybe we find ourselves in the middle of the story. Jerry Sitzer, who some of you know, who writes very powerfully on grief, says this. What does it mean for us to be in the middle of the story? In my mind, there's only one good option. We must choose to stay, to hold on in the redemptive story. However unclear it might seem to us, we trust that God is writing our story. A story so glorious and beautiful that only faith will enable us to believe it and stay in it. We choose to read our story in the light of the story, his story. For God is the author of the redemptive story, and he has chosen to enter it as a character who has turned the plot in a startling new direction. From death to life, from despair to hope, from loss to gain, and from fear to faith. A song I've been playing to lift me this week has been by C.C. Williams, and uh, I just sing it around the house um, so, uh, and I'm in a terrace, so goodness knows what the, the neighbours think. But this is what she sings. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. For there is power in your name. We've heard there's no way through. We've heard this tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. For there is power in your name. We know that hope is never lost, for there is still an empty grave. So move the immovable, break the unbreakable. For God, we believe for it. We're going to respond uh, by singing the creed together. The words that confess our faith. That in this world of competing stories for the truth, we declare as Riverside Church on this day, we believe for it. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. He moves us from faltering fear to that call of faith. And if you'd like to come, the prayer team I know are wanting to pray with you to just lay a hand on you if that's appropriate for healing for yourself or for somebody who you care about. Or maybe you just want to hold out your hands and just say, I want the Holy Spirit to convince me again that this story is true. Because there's no neutrality in this world anymore. If things like AI are on the increase and we don't know what is true anymore, there's a greater, deeper call on all of us to live lives that are distinctly faith-filled. Yes, fragile, but faith-filled voices calling out to Jesus, if you touch me, I know that you will start to transform my life. Psalm 147 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their trust in his unfailing love.